since we're sort of still in winter, I've decided to take a few minutes for this part of the show and just talk a little bit about the first and last average frost. Now, I'm going to stick with zones 6, 7, and 8 because almost all of my listeners, I have some exceptions. I even have a guy who gets in touch with me from the Philippines, for goodness gracious sake. But 5, 6, and 7, or 6, 7, and 8 cover all of us. I'm going to go ahead and do 6, 7, and 8. That's literally from the central United States, New Mexico, all the way up to... Uh, Pennsylvania uh, for six. Seven is just between that and eight is everything from the Texas coast and the Texas almost panhandle all the way over to the Carolinas. So we'll give it just a really rough feeling for that. What I want to encourage and the reason we're doing this is to have you go check your particular and I'll even tell you how to do it. Zip code is the easiest way. You put your zip code in and now uh, the guides are so accurate, it's with it's really, really gotten a lot better than it was just a decade ago. And I do want to mention here, they've actually even moved the zones because of climate changes that we've come across in the last 20 or 25 years. The zones have actually moved up a notch. What used to be 8 is now 8B, and then what used to be the bottom 8 is A, and they've moved them around because it's actually averaging slightly warmer temperatures on a year-to-year basis. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have those extremely cold nights, but we're talking average temperature, which is steadily climbing at least over the last 50 or 75 years. Especially if you're new, before you start planting your garden, you need to know the last and first dates in your region so that your plants are planted at just the right time. What is a frost date? Frost date is the average date of the last frost in spring or the first frost in fall or winter. Frost occurs when air temperatures reach 32 degrees, of course. However, There's other circumstances, and you can actually get light frost a few degrees warmer than the actual air temperature of 32 degrees, but it'll be a frost, not a freeze. The reason we even bring up frost is because frost can damage young and newly planted plants, the new growth on established plants, and can affect harvesting. If you're planting tender or warm season plants, you should do so after the last average date frost in spring and certainly before the first frost in fall or winter. I actually jack them around by a couple weeks on each end just for a little safety factor. You can turn to a few different sources to determine these average frost dates in your area. However, in addition to our map and suggested websites, this is from the USDA, your local gardening center and your personal experience can be your most reliable source. It's a good idea to jot down the actual last and first frost dates in your area, or actually right at your house if you're a a year-to-year gardener, to keep an accurate record year by year. And again, do, do realize that they do vary greatly from year to year. So this is an average situation and you just have to pay attention to your environment and, and get your plants fit in at pretty much the right time. Again, let me iterate that to ensure the safety of your tender plants for fall harvest, you might want to adjust frost dates that are published for your region. I, for instance, I consider planting two weeks later in the spring and about two weeks earlier in the fall, as I mentioned earlier, to protect my plants from some really strange, unexpected, and abnormal cold temps, which do happen occasionally. So it's important to know the difference between a frost and a freeze because some plants, a lot of plants, 
can take a light frost in the mornings, but cannot tolerate a freeze. I always tell people by choice, if they have the choice, is to determine their frost date by their zip code. Uh, I believe that using zip codes will lead to a more accurate frost date. There's a few different websites you can go to refer. Dave's Garden has one and Old Farmer's Almanac, the National Garden. So they all have one that's pretty accurate. Just keep in mind that even these dates are an average and don't take into consideration the real microclimates on your property. In addition, climate change is not been taken into account when determining some of these frost dates yet. For instance, when I lived in Fort Davis, I was up at the edge of the mountain, just even a few miles out of town. But my average microclimate was a few degrees cooler every day, especially mornings and evenings, than they were right downtown Fort Davis, just a few miles away. So if you really, really want to be accurate, you do your microclimates where you're planting the plants that you want to grow. This is really what we're talking about, but since uh, this may be new to some of you, let's just kind of talk about it a little bit. You need to know your plant hardiness zone. The easiest way is to go dig out, uh, well, Old Farms Almanacs have them, but the easy one is every year, the USDA plant hardiness zone map is found everywhere. We go to the libraries and pull it up on a computer. Sometimes it's even published in a number of newspapers, so it's, all, it's easy to get your hands on. That zone, especially if you get out of the newspaper, will show you the planting zone in the right in the area where you live. In general, the map uh, divides the United States into cold hardiness zones based on a average annual minimum temp. A plant's cold hardiness zone indicates where a plant is likely, likely to survive in winter. This information is useful both in terms of knowing when to sow your seeds and the right time to plant annuals, perennials, trees, and shrubs that are likely to survive your winter in most cases. Use this map in combination with the last and first frost dates that, that also come up with those maps, uh, and that will ensure you most of the time that you plant at the right place and the right time considering the very local conditions. To keep informed about the latest updates and possible zone adjustments, you can just go again anytime you want. They update it all the time to the USDA Plant Hardiness Zone Map website. It's a free.org. This map is interactive and provides features that enable you to find and download cold hardiness zones right at your very local zip code, state, regional, and even a national average. Another important source of weather-related information is the NOAA. Okay, well, I'll do this once. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. That's who I use most of the time. Their website, which you can use in combination with frost dates and cold hardiness dates to assist you in selecting the safest plant to plant at right where you live, the actual spot. I mean, if you go to the uh, zip code and then you go to the local hardiness plant, you can pretty much cherry pick exactly what you want to grow on the property where you'll be doing your gardening. Let's do just take a few minutes and kind of talk generally about these zones because this is by far the majority of my listeners' living areas. I'm going to start with zones 5, 6, and 7, which are the upper end of the, of the zones that we're talking about. They literally stretch across the middle of our country. Some areas, even with the 5, 6, and 7, do get some heavy snow. 
Okay, I'm not going to go up to zone four because I haven't planted or lived there. But this, the five, six, and seven, you can at least in five and six occasionally get some snows that actually will bury your garden short term. With extreme minimum temperatures ranging from eh, 29 degrees to negative 10 or 15 degrees, folks, that's that's cold. Combine a number of protection devices if you're going to do longer harvest, oh, like row covers and that kind of thing that'll help a little bit. As an aid in these upper zones, five, six, and seven area, uh, why don't you uh, always mulch. If you can build or have built a cold frame, it'll be very, very helpful. If not, at least a row cover uh, placed beneath a well-supported hoop tunnel. You can make the hoop tunnels out of PVC or even inside an unheated greenhouse would be an amazing difference. Just drape an insulated blanket over the device or if you're lucky, electric lights are these really light electric heaters. I actually use what we call pig blankets if you want to look them up. They're used to propagate plants in smaller sizes but you can get bigger ones for your pig houses and things and boy they work great for a winter. Uh, warm them up to get your plants started earlier. We're going to treat zone 8 a little differently. Zone 8 temperatures usually stay above freezing in this zone, but in super rare cases, as in last year in Texas, for instance, uh, they can dip to even negative 12 degrees. We didn't get that far down in zone 8, but we did get to a 3 degree low, which as far as I know had never been recorded right where I was in central Texas before. They don't get snow, for instance, in the more arid areas without much wind. Mulch may be your best and only protection needed to keep your winter crops thriving most of the time. Pay attention to weather forecast and cover crops with fabric if really cold freezing temperatures are predicted. Of course, it depends on the crop. Where wind is strong or rainfall is heavy, use row covers or another device to protect the plants from being just completely dehydrated and ripped off. I might mention here, this is just off the cuff. This is not off of anything that I've got set up. Uh, if you haven't started your tomatoes, probably in any of these areas, it's time to do it. If you're gonna bed and seed your own tomatoes, which I recommend, especially if you're an heirloom grower, you need to get them going four to six weeks ahead of when you're going to plant them. And in a number of areas, that's gonna be four to six weeks from now. You actually should, in, in some of the warmer areas, like the 8A or 8Bs, maybe you've even started them uh, a few weeks ago. But you can also hold them a little bit. If you see you got another cold snap coming right at the end of what the last average frost is, just be sure you get plenty of light on those plants. The more light, you almost can't have too much light. And keep them damp, not, not wet and not dry. That easily transplant when you know it's safe down the road another week or two. You've got, a, you've got a window of opportunity there. That's one of the advantages of growing your own plants from seed. And again, I hate to do generalities, but let's do it anyway. I'm going to give you a little water the harvest winter garden guide. Once the garden is planted and protection devices are in place if you need them, watering and harvesting are the main jobs for the winter gardener. Even in the more arid climates, winter gardens usually need less water than summer gardens because there's less sunlight and less evaporation. Mulch further helps the soil retain water and can reduce water needs by up to 25%. As a matter of fact, it also moderates the temperature. When it gets super cold, that mulch helps protect those roots. When it gets super hot later in the year, that mulch helps protect those roots. So mulch is, a, you almost can't over mulch most plants. 
The fact to give you just a little rule of thumb, which is very general, is to feel the soil regularly and you water when it feels dry to you. Just to kind of sum it up, gardening through the frigid months is not for everyone. It takes a little bit more of an effort. However, gardeners who are willing to experiment with planting cold tolerant veggies at the right time and protecting them from the elements will be rewarded with the delicious taste of homegrown greens on the coldest, darkest days when none of your neighbors have any idea they're even available. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters.